we're very strict in Boca. It's not about being elite so much as having a brand that really distinguishes Boca from other cities. After five years, Boca Raton has lifted its ban on medical marijuana dispensaries. But some city council members are less than high on the idea. From Florida Atlantic University's Davy campus, I'm Gabby Gleitman. And I'm Tim Becker, the South Florida Journal for the week of February 28, 2020. Also this week, Florida lawmakers are debating a new bill that could give eligible students free tuition with some strings attached. If they are working in Florida, it's possible that they would continue with education. We'll have these stories and more on this week's South Florida Journal. But first, Beatrice Silva has some of the other stories making South Florida headlines this week. On Tuesday, Palm Beach County commissioners agreed to spend $8.6 million in hopes of reducing the amount of unauthorized homeless tent cities in John Prince Memorial Park. Officials plan to open a temporary homeless shelter in a vacant 17-acre correctional facility next to the South Florida Fairgrounds. One critic sent a letter to Mayor Dave Kerner claiming commissioners would be criminalizing homelessness by forcing the homeless into a former jail facility. At Tuesday's commission meeting, Mayor Kerner responded. When you attack this plan and you purport to act on behalf of a homeless population that you don't represent, I wonder if they would rather have access to food, linen, Wi-Fi, security, electrical outlets, job opportunities, and health care versus living in a tent in John Prince Park. The county will spend nearly $900,000 in startup costs and renovations, in addition to more than $5 million in annual operating costs. A piece of Palm Beach County land previously reserved for environmental purposes could be the site of a new medical office building in West Delray Beach. Early last month, the Palm Beach County Planning Commission voted to consider amending the commercial cap on the Agricultural Reserve, allowing a medical office to be built. Caroline Bell reports on the potential effects of the proposal. The proposed amendment to the commercial cap would allow a 13,000-square-foot medical office on just two acres of land. Some county commissioners are unsure if the new building will be worth the increased congestion. Palm Beach County traffic engineer Dr. Juan Ortega analyze the possible impacts of the proposal. If you look to specifically these two acres, probably it's going to be very little impact. But traffic isn't the only concern. The land on the reserve is designed for agricultural activity. Drew Martin, conservation chair of the Sierra Club, worries about further development in the area. We really need to have open space, water retention, and agriculture more than we need more development. For instance, we really don't need a medical office building. We have plenty already. We won't know the future of the development until county commissioners vote on the proposal in April. For South Florida Journal, I'm Caroline Bell. Aging water pipes led to another sewage spill in Fort Lauderdale on Monday. It was the 11th time in the past 10 weeks. City officials have approved a $65 million project to replace a seven-and-a-half-mile-long pipe underlying many of the issues. Florida Atlantic University engineering professor Frederick Bletcher says sometimes it's better to replace pipes rather than repair existing ones. You make investments because the technology has changed to a point that it's more efficient to use new stuff than old stuff. 
Until pipes are replaced, the city is advising not to swim, fish, or partake in other water-related activities in affected areas. The pipe replacement will take 14 to 18 months to complete. In the wake of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, a nearby community has taken action to improve its response to emergencies. Last week, Coral Springs City Commissioners approved the purchase of a new computer-aided dispatch interface. Max Ziffer has more. Just shy of $700,000, the technology will help effectively communicate with the Broward Sheriff's Office and save agencies crucial seconds during times of emergency. Currently, the City of Coral Springs and the Broward County Sheriff's Office rely on a manual process to share CAD information. City Manager Frank Babinek is excited about the possibility of improving the city's safety expectations will provide us the infrastructure to uh, be able to hook some of our disparate CADs together that we have in the county, allowing for a higher level of public safety. Kathy Liriano, a 911 communications center manager for Coral Springs Police, highlights the benefits of the new system. So what this hub is, is a technological device that would allow us to communicate and gives us situational awareness for first responders and for dispatch PSAPs throughout the county. Until both agencies can complete programming for the new CAD system, it's unclear when implementation will begin. For South Florida Journal, I'm Max Ziffer. Those were some of the stories making South Florida headlines this week. I'm Beatrice Silva. You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Gabby Gleitman. And I'm Tim Becker. Remember to follow South Florida Journal on Instagram and Twitter at SoFloJournal. And for behind-the-scenes footage and more, follow us on Snapchat at official underscore SFJ. Just ahead, Florida lawmakers are debating a new bill that could give eligible students free tuition, with some strings attached. But first, it's been more than three years since Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment legalizing medical marijuana use. Since then... The list of South Florida cities allowing the operation of dispensaries has grown rapidly, but Boca Raton has not been among them, at least not till now. In a 3-2 vote earlier this month, the Boca City Council put aside its regulatory concerns and voted to allow the dispensaries. South Florida Journal's Dalton Daniels has been covering the story. This week, he sat down with Alexa Pagel and told her more. Thank you for joining us, Dalton. Of course. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit more about what went into the vote. There were a total of two hours of both public and council discussion. The vote was between four council members that split in a 2-2 vote. Councilman Annie Thompson, who proposed the bill, and Councilwoman Monica Mayotte both voted pro. And then there's Councilman Jeremy Rogers and Councilwoman Andrea Levine-O'Rourke. They were both con. There was a 2-2 tie, and it was split by Mayor Scott Singer. Definitely a lot of research went into this, a lot of thought went into this. The entire two hours were filled with productive research. A lot went into this for sure. So what were some of the main points that came up during this two-hour discussion? I actually had the privilege of speaking with one of the councilwomen who voted con, Andrea Levino Rourke, and she filled me in on some of her reasoning why she voted the way she did. For me, it was really about the zoning. There are, we're very strict in Boca. 
So we don't have auto car dealerships. We don't have neon signs. We don't have the golden arches. We don't have digital signs that you see, some billboards. We, we just don't allow those things. It's not about being elite so much as having a particular brand that really distinguishes Boca from other cities. She goes on to explain also that it's a cash business. It would um, cause an uptick in police effort and the city having to pay for lighting for however many dispensaries open up. So uh, she raised some concerns and points why she voted the way she did. So what has been the community's response to the lift of this ban? It's tough to generalize the specific response to the community. If you want to look at it statistically, in 2016, 71% of Floridians voted to approve the measure and 76% of Boca Raton citizens also approved. So when you look at it statistically, you could say, well, positive, but you still have the 24% of Boca Raton citizens that voted con for the bill. So I guess you could say it's a mixed reaction to the passing of the bill, considering it was not a unanimous 100% in the original Boca Raton results. I actually had the opportunity to talk to a local Boca Raton resident who is registered to receive medical marijuana who lives in Boca Raton, Mara Sturzenegger, and I got to talk to her about the conveniency of having dispensaries now open in Boca. More convenient for me so I don't have to travel to Delray to Satira and Kiraleaf, especially during the day, um, rush hour, it takes a long time to get there and sometimes I don't even know if I'll make it there because of how long it takes. So, you know, that's just one instance of someone who will be positively affected, and I'm sure she's not alone. So, is there any word on when these dispensaries will be available in Boca Raton? That's another thing I actually got to speak with Councilwoman Andrea O'Rourke about. She kind of got into normally how long it should take for this to go into effect. That'll probably happen rather quickly. They will have to... um, It depends on what they're opening, whether they even have to go through an approval process. Since this was granted, uh, if they're in a location where it is granted and it's within the size and it's within an area that is is far enough away from schools and other locations, uh, they can, as soon as they make a a deal on their, their property, then they can open pretty quickly. Back in August 2018, there were five total uh, medical marijuana dispensaries available, and now there's over 30. It just goes to show you in just about a year and a half how many dispensaries can open up in a particular area. So we should definitely be seeing some dispensary opening up in Boca Raton very shortly. So it would be pretty safe to assume that this would improve the overall business of these companies? According to Mike Wilson, who's the assistant manager of Sertano Wellness Dispensary in Delray Beach, he says that it will for sure possibly affect his clientele and how many clients will be coming into their store. I actually got to speak with him about it. Uh, absolutely, because then it'll open up, you know, uh, stores in uh, the Boca area, so it would uh, increase the client base. Absolutely. So yeah, he was very adamant about um, Boca Raton allowing medical marijuana to be sold, and he wants all cities in Florida, frankly, to be um, pro dispensaries. He is very excited for stores to open up in Boca Raton and expand their clientele. Well, it'll be interesting to see how these changes will be implemented. Thank you for joining us. Of course, my pleasure. That was South Florida Journal's Dalton Daniels on the recent passing of the medical marijuana dispensaries in Boca Raton. You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Gabby Gleitman. And I'm Tim Becker. 
Remember to follow South Florida Journal on Instagram and Twitter at SoFloJournal. And for behind-the-scenes footage and more, follow us on Snapchat at official underscore SFJ. Just ahead, Florida lawmakers are debating a new bill that could give eligible students free tuition, with some strings attached. But first, Beatrice Silva has some of the other stories making South Florida headlines this week. On Tuesday, Palm Beach County commissioners agreed to spend $8.6 million in hopes of reducing the amount of unauthorized homeless tent cities in John Prince Memorial Park. Officials plan to open a temporary homeless shelter in a vacant 17-acre correctional facility next to the South Florida fairgrounds. And... Aging water pipes led to another sewage spill in Fort Lauderdale on Monday. It was the 11th time in the past 10 weeks. City officials have approved a $65 million project to replace a seven and a half mile long pipe underlying many of the issues. Until pipes are replaced, the city is advising not to swim, fish, or partake in other water-related activities in affected areas. The pipe replacement will take 14 to 18 months to complete. Those were some of the stories making South Florida headlines this week. I'm Beatrice Silva. You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Gabby Gleitman. And I'm Tim Becker. We need to make public colleges and universities tuition free and by taxing billionaires and by taxing Wall Street, we will cancel all student debt in this country. That was U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont during a Democratic presidential debate last year. His campaign promise to offer free tuition at four-year public colleges and universities has sparked a national conversation about education expenses and student debt. Sanders' idea isn't likely to be enacted anytime soon. However, Florida college students could have free tuition in their futures. Florida lawmakers are calling it the Sunshine Scholarship. If passed into law, it would grant students free tuition to any two-year community or technical college program as long as they remain in-state after graduation. Several other states have already passed similar bills. South Florida Journal's Kimberly Bolden has been covering the story. This week, she sat down with Dennis Morgan and told him more. Thank you for joining me, Kimberly. Of course, thanks for having me. So what can you tell me about these Sunshine Scholarships? So the Sunshine Scholarship is a potential bill that may or may not be passed here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And what it would do is give students who attend community or technical colleges two free years of tuition. However, there's a catch. As long as they stay, you know, using the aid here in Florida for school, they would mm-hmm. have to remain in Florida post-graduation and work here in order to, you know, essentially pay back their dues. Okay. Other states have put a similar scholarship like this into effect. How has it impacted them? That's a good question. So other states, you know, Tennessee, California, Oregon, they have also put into effect similar, you know, programs, bills. Um, I got the privilege of speaking with Dr. Terry Brown. Mm -hmm. He is the presidential assistant at Nashville State Community College. And he told me that he doesn't necessarily feel as though their graduation rates have increased. Right. More so they've remained consistent. So Um, Dr. Brown does feel that their campus has expanded, but more so from the help of their dual part program. So their program is, you know, two sided, whereas Florida's is just like the one sided program as of right now. Okay, that dual part program. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? So the first part of Tennessee's program is the Tennessee Promise, which is for students who are fresh out of high school who want to go to community colleges. They Mm -hmm. would get the free two year tuition. However, there's also the Tennessee Reconnect, which is an adult program 
where it's essentially encouraged adults back into the college realm after okay. taking a sabbatical of some sort. But Dr. Brown does say he doesn't feel as though these programs, as helpful as they are, he doesn't mm. feel as they're a cure-all. There are still other moving factors that college students have to face every day that will need work as well. Absolutely. Florida should implement something like the Sunshine Scholarship. There is nothing but good that comes from investing in, in higher education. It's important. It's critical that people do not see the scholarship as a as a panacea for making every student successful. We still need to invest in faculty. We still need to invest in, in facilities. And he's very passionate, you can tell. So from a financial standpoint, why only low to moderate income students when not all students come from the same financial background? Great question. So you know, that's a stipulation that comes with Florida's potential Sunshine Scholarship. You know, Mr. Wilton Brown, who is the external scholarship coordinator at Florida Atlantic University, he doesn't feel that the low to moderate income perimeter is mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing. He feels like it could encourage students to actually take an opportunity that they w may or may not have had beforehand. However, I will say for the Tennessee Promise, it's not limited based on income. So while any student can use it there, it is still last resort, just mm -hmm. much like, you know, the Sunshine Scholarship, which is also a last resort. So there are other right. forms of financial aid would be put into place before these programs would be used anyways. So some state representatives have to have some sort of concern about this, this free tuition going to two-year programs and it might draw away students from going to four-year schools. What can you say about that? I can say this. So Mr. Wilton Brown, the scholarship coordinator that I mentioned previously, he feels that you know, it could actually do the opposite. He feels mm -hmm. that this could draw students into the four-year sector because students, since they're having to remain in Florida, you know, to pay back their dues and work once they graduate, perhaps with this time while they're in Florida, you know, they decide to pursue higher education with the mm -hmm. four-year sector. So he thinks it could actually do the opposite. With something like that, that would probably encourage them to, to, to continue in education because one of the things that I think they would have to repay the funds so, for instance, if they are working in Florida, it's possible that they would continue with education. Quite a thought-provoking response. What are primary concerns if this bill passed tomorrow? So Florida State Representative Colleen Burton did express some worry to the Sun Sentinel that students perhaps may struggle in finding jobs post-graduation. And then mm. if that were the case, how would they pay back you know, their dues? Right. However, there's also you know, tying into that, there's also no time frame in mm -hmm. which students have to pay this back. She's not sure if this is a good or a bad thing, but that does coexist with her concern. So Mr. Wilton Brown, he also commented on this whenever I expressed the concern to him. And he said, you know, a proposed solution of his own was what if legislators aid students in finding jobs post-graduation? Uh, one of the things that I think that the legislators could look into is the possibility of, okay, if this person is having difficulty finding a job, we will find a job for you. And again, that's just, you know, his personal suggestion. Yeah, he makes some very good points. How long would it take for this bill to be put into effect? Is there a timeline or do we know anything? It's hard to say. There's no, you know, hard and fast timeline as of right now. The bill still has to pass through two more House and two more Senate committees before going to the full chamber. So it, it could take some time. Yeah. Thank you for joining me, Kimberly. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Kimberly Bolden telling us about the new Sunshine Scholarship. You've been listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Gabby Gleitman. And I'm Tim Becker.
South Florida Journal is a joint production of Dr. Kevin Petrick's broadcast and advanced broadcast journalism classes in FAU School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. Hi, I'm Gabby Gleitman. I'm Tim Becker. I'm Tyler Murillo. And I'm Devin Simmons. And we're your South Florida Journal producers. And here's the rest of the crew. This is Beatrice Silva with my fellow assignment editors. Hey, I'm Zane Kermis. And I'm Brianna Yagos. Our script gurus are... Kiara Walker, Sierra Mercer, and Max Ziffer. But let's not forget about social media. Stay connected and follow us at... South Florida Journal! Thank you for listening. And join us again next Friday at noon on OWL Radio.